0: Hey, everybody, it's time for Classic Wednesday. Quaker.com podcast. This is podcast episode 55 for Thursday, November 24th, 2011. Uh, well, let me get the warning out of the way right off the bat. If you're particularly sensitive about historical information that, uh, that doesn't fit the state narrative, if you're particularly sensitive about certain holiday, uh, the worship of holidays, if this is a big deal to you, you might want to go ahead and shut this podcast off because I'm just probably going to really irritate you. You see, uh, yes, this is badquaker.com, and uh, I'm a bad Quaker. However, as uh, as, y- as you know, if you've gone through and read my... Um, discussion on the topic by bad Quaker what that means is I believe in self defense I believe in being armed and I believe in defending the innocent not only in self-defense but defending others as well so I don't have a problem with violence if it's used in self-defense and for that reason I'm not a good Quaker but I am a Quaker and Quakers do not recognize one day as having any particular significance over any other day and therefore this day being November 24th Thursday 2011, the day many people call Thanksgiving in the United States they uh, they call it that by the way because the government decided that because it was an act of Congress because or or perhaps a president I can't remember and I really almost don't want to know it's 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 fine with me that I purged that out of my mind because okay well, I got away from the warning, and I started to preach. Sorry about that. So, that is the warning. Uh, I'm not going to be nice to this holy day, this holiday. I'm not going to be nice to the, to the pilgrims, Puritans. That's what they were, roundheads, murderers. I'm not going to be nice to them. And this is not some Disney uh, rant where, oh, well, they were bad for the environment. No, they killed people. The Puritans were horrible, horrible people. And the legacy that they've given to us is the state, is the dominating state that we deal with in the United States today. That's what the Puritans gave to us. Death, murder, absurd laws, ridiculous, ridiculous control of individuals by the state. That's the hallmark of the Puritan, the roundhead, the so-called pilgrim. That's what they brought to us, and I have no love for them whatsoever. Let's start this by going, uh, by stepping over to someone of authority. Let's look at uh, Murray Rothbard. Now, if you go to badquaker.com to where this article is, is published, you, I'll put a link there to the Lou Rockwell uh, excerpt of, uh, uh, this is a lourockwell.com excerpt, of the Murray Rothbard, um, from the Murray Rothbard book Conceived in Liberty. Conceived in Liberty is actually a four-volume set. It's uh, probably the best thing that was ever put into print in reference to the history of the founding of of North America by the Europeans. Um, The article at LewRockwell.com is uh, an excerpt from chapter 18, volume 1 of Conceived in Liberty. Now, um, I would strongly, strongly recommend anyone who has the slightest inclinations toward history, if the slightest uh, um, interest in history, to get your hands on uh, this four-volume set, *Conceived in Liberty* by Murray Rothbard, you can get it over at Mises.org. They have it at the store there. It's it con- compared to what it used to cost. It's really pretty cheap. I can't remember what the price is now. But even if you don't get it in an actual hardback uh, for your library to sit on your shelf, as we all should, um, download it in PDF form. There's even uh, there's even an MP3. Uh, files of it, of the entire thing. You can listen to the entire thing on MP3, read by Jeff Riggenbach. Um, get a hold of that. If you have any inclinations toward history whatsoever, get a hold of Conceived in Liberty and go through that. And And if you're not familiar with uh, with Murray Rothbard's um, dealing with history, this will just blow your mind. It is, it is true history, and it's documented to uh, an unbelievable degree. Um, and what, and, and, what Murray does is he just takes all the conventions, all of the, uh, the standard state, uh, fluff, and he just throws it away and he goes right to the source and he finds out what really happened and he puts it right out there for you to see. Okay, now let me just jump into it. Like I said, there will be a link to the Lou Rockwell article, which is an excerpt of Conceived in Liberty, Chapter 18, Volume 1. And what Murray says in this chapter, he's dealing specifically with the so-called pilgrims. They did not come to America for religious freedom. There was nothing about religious freedom, that, that, there, there was nothing about them that had to do with religious freedom. If um, Look at it this way. If I'm playing a game of basketball, and I want all the rules to be made up by me as I play the game of basketball, and you're on a different uh, court that's right next to my court, and you want to play basketball according to your rules of basketball or according to the standard rules of basketball, and I'm on my court playing uh, basketball according to the rules that I make up as I play my game. Now, this would be comparable to the so-called Pilgrims, in the sense that here I am playing basketball on rules that I make up as I go along, so I'm like the Puritans. And I'm not satisfied with just me being on my court playing my game of basketball according to my rules. I'm going to want to invade your court and force you to accept my game of basketball and my rules. That's religious freedom to a, to a roundhead, to a pilgrim, to a Puritan. They can't leave you alone. They can't let you play according to your game. They have to invade your court and force you to play by their rules that they make up as they go along. And if you're not sure about the rules... They'll tell you, and usually they'll tell you at the point of a sword or the point of a spear or the point of a lance. That's the Puritans. That's that's your, your pilgrims. That's the roundheads. It was not about religious freedom. It was not about tolerance. It was about dominance. And if they couldn't have things the way they wanted it in Europe, they'd come to, the, to North America, to the to the New World, and they'd make everybody behave the way they wanted there. Now, on the, in the case of the, uh, of the ship, the Mayflower, let me scroll down just a little bit here. The, uh, the actual so-called Pilgrims, the Roundheads, the, uh, the Puritans, that were on the Mayflower were a minority of the individuals on the Mayflower. They had struck out under contract to go to the Virginia Colony where, under contract, they were supposed to establish a colony in Virginia, and uh, uh, most of the people on board were uh, non-Puritans. They were either bond servants, or they just were settlers wanting to start out a new life. When, uh, as the Mayflower approached the New World, They chose not to land in Virginia. They chose to violate the contract. That's right. The Pilgrims broke the contract with the people who had financed them and paid for their ship and paid for them to come to the New World. They backed out of their deal and they went north and did not settle where they had promised that they would. So their word was worth nothing. They literally ripped off their investors. That's the pilgrims. They took money fraudulently from an organization, from a company, with the promise that they would go to Virginia and set up a colony. But instead, once they got to the New World, they broke that that promise, they broke that contract, and they sailed north. Now, the majority on board ships said, Look, the contract is now broke, we're no longer bond servants. We were only bond servants because we were under that contract to that company, and that contract is now broken. We're not landing in Virginia. So So the Puritan minority, which, you know, happen to be the ones with guns, Puritans tend to like it that way. They like to be the ones with the guns when nobody else has any. So the Puritan minority used the force of arms, to demand that the others sign the so-called Mayflower Compact. And the Mayflower Compact actually bound the majority to the rule of the minority. It, it forced the all the non-Puritans on board ship to, to allow the Puritans to rule over them and become their government. That's what the Mayflower Contract did. And again, you can take, pick up, um, uh, follow the link over to bluerockwell.com and read what Murray Rothbard had to say about this. If you're not sure about that, well, let me scroll down and see if he provides the. Uh, uh, no, he doesn't give at the Lou Rockwell site. It doesn't give the uh, references that Murray does in the book, but if you go over to mises.org and you download the PDF version of *Conceived in Liberty*, all the links are there. That all Murray's references everywhere. That uh, everything that Murray um, got his information from is all right there. It's documented. You can check it all out for yourself. That's what happened. The Puritans, the the so-called um, Pilgrims, had a contract. They took money under the guise that they were going to come to Virginia and set up a, a a colony where the company would then make money off of their work and pay back what they what the company had invested to get them to the new world. They broke that contract. They they literally cheated the company. They lied. They cheated. They deceived. That's what the Pilgrims did. Then they went up to an area where the where it was not a, a part of a, an established co- a colony. And then they forcibly, by the point of a gun, they forced the other people on board ship to accept their Puritan rule. And then they established a colony. But they established a colony using communist, uh, a, a communist economy for the, a, a forced communist economy for the colony. That's what they set up. And because of that, within the first year, half of the people had died mostly of starvation or disease due to malnutrition. Because communism is a horrible system. Again, all of this has gone over in the article by Murray Rothbard that's over at, um, over at the link. My point in bringing this up is because, you know, it's very frustrating to walk around and see the little... Uh, um, pilgrim costumes and all the little nonsense that goes with it all this time of year now don't get me wrong i like turkey i like to have a nice big thanksgiving dinner i like to have all the stuff that goes with it i like uh i like for family to get together i like it when everybody gets together and talks and eats and has fun i love that okay i love all the secular aspects of thanksgiving but unlike my conservative friends, my religious right friends, to me, this holiday is an abomination to history. Because the idea that the pilgrims came over here for religious freedom is an outright lie. The pilgrims were thieves. They took money under fraudulent uh, uh, circumstances. They, they brought the ship over here and then forcibly held people, as uh, forced them to sign the Mayflower contract and forced them to become become, uh, slaves and servants of the pilgrims in order to get off the ship. And then because of their communist system that they set up once they got here, half of those people died. Now I have no love and no appreciation for that. That's the real history of thanksgiving. And then, if we want to get into it further and we go to the, to the point of where people like Lincoln used this as an excuse to try to get more power for himself and to, and to convince people to support his war and, and uh, then the commercialization and all the other aspects that we could put with this story, I'm not even going to go into that. I'm just talking specifically about the lie that our, quote, founding fathers were Puritans. My fathers were not Puritans. And I'll have nothing to do with any heritage that comes from that. Puritans brought nothing positive to the table. They brought nothing positive into Western society, into Western culture. Everything that the Puritans brought into Western culture was evil. Not just neutral, not just bad, evil. The busybody nature of American people today is to a large extent due to the Puritans due to their, their hatred of, of anything that might have fun related to it or might have enjoyment related to it. Um, Murray talks about, in one case, uh, where um, uh, the, uh, the Puritans in uh, Massachusetts uh, persecuted people because they wanted to play ball. How dare they want to play ball? Something sinful like playing ball. Well, fortunately, we win on that, and a, and a ball game is one of the major uh, U.S. events that takes place on Thanksgiving every year. So fortunately, at least the, uh, the Puritans lost out on that one. But in the larger sense, everything that the Puritans brought to us, everything that they added to Western society, uh, it's the tendencies of the state to dominate every part of your life. That thank you very much, Puritans. That's where that came from. Puritans deciding on uh, the ridiculous blue laws that we've had to tolerate for, for centuries in this country. Thank you, Puritans. All of that nonsense has its origin in the Puritans. They were not religiously tolerant. They were not seeking uh, religious freedom. They were seeking people and places to dominate. That was the aspect of Puritanism. Let me read to you something that I wrote about Puritans uh, quite some time back. This is from an article called "Warriors, Long Hairs, Quakers, and Roundheads," and I said this in reference to the uh, the difference between Quakers and Puritans. The heart of the conflict had nothing to do with Quakers' love for traditional hairstyles or the Puritans' rejection of Quakers' reverence for God. This is a reference to the fact that Quakers called. Uh, puritans round heads because the puritans would would uh, cut their cranial hair off they would crop it all off short to a consistent about a half an inch long or so and they would shave off their beards therefore rounding off their head rather than allowing their hair and their beards to take the natural shape that god had intended so um so that's the context of what i'm talking about here i'm gonna will start again so you The heart of the conflict had nothing to do with the Quakers' love for traditional hairstyles or the Puritans' rejection of Quaker reverence for God. The problem was, in the fundamentally different way the two groups saw their role on earth as Christians, the Roundheads, that's the Puritans, the Roundheads were compelled to spread their version of Christianity and its rules of behavior and dress at any cost. Because of the twisted view of predestination, or what they called the elect, they saw themselves as crusaders destined to conquer the world for Christ. Anyone who was not a Puritan and refused to accept Puritanism was not loved by God and fell into an inferior classification of humans. In addition to this fanatical view of at any cost evangelism, and an inflated view of themselves on the stage of history, they believed the state was the primary tool of Christian conquest. Therefore, developing and expanding the state was a prime goal, and anyone who stood in their way or refused to conform to their views was the enemy of God. In contrast, the Quaker viewed all people alike, men, women, children, Christians, non-Christians. They were all the children of God and equal in God's sight. No one person had any divine advantages. God loved the heathen slave just as much as the nobleman, the king, or the impressive clergy with his imaginative hat and robes. When you hold a view like this, it's hard it becomes hard to justify the existence of a state completely dependent upon one group of people dominating another. It also eliminates the possibility of forcing anyone to conform to your doctrine. But more important, it eliminates the possibility of someone convincing you they know God's will and you must conform to them. So that's, uh, that's one paragraph out of a uh, thing that I wrote sometime back and I'll put a link to it on the page where this appears and that kind of explains not only the difference between the Puritans the pilgrims and the Quakers but it also kind of gives you an idea my opinion of the Puritans, the pilgrims, the Roundheads. I don't have much use for them then and I don't have much use for them today as they wrap themselves in the label of progressives and not only those not only progressives are the modern day puritans but the fanatical religious right are the result of of the puritans the worst aspects of the religious right and the worst aspects of the progressives are the grandchildren of the puritans and I have very little use for them I'm I'm going to make this a short podcast today because it is uh you know Tending to sound a bit angry, but there's a reason for that. It's because all this Puritan nonsense angers me, and so in an attempt to try to not be angry, I'm going to just let it flow at that, and we'll cut the podcast short. I do want to point out, um, if you want to get a better idea of the difference between the the view, the general view of what comes to us through Puritan thought. And the view that comes, that should come to us through the proper view of Christianity, in my opinion. Take a look at another link that I'm going to put on this page. It's called Am I My Brother's Keeper? And this really goes into the difference between someone who, under the guise of being religious, wants to dominate you and tell you how to live your life, or the true in my opinion the true biblical position and the true christian position which is to leave others alone to let them live their life whether you approve of their life or not leave them alone if they're not harming you you have no business dictating their life to them that i believe is the true christian position um, take a look at that uh, article that I wrote. It's called uh, Am I My Brother's Keeper? And the other that I referred to was Warriors, Longhairs, Quakers, and Roundheads. And, of course, the article over at Lou Rockwell that is titled What Really Happened at Plymouth by Murray Rothbard, which is an outtake of or an excerpt from Chapter 18, Volume 1 of the masterful work conceived in liberty. You have to get that. Whether, even if you think everything I just said is crazy go to Mises.org download if, if you're more the reading type download the PDF of Conceived in Liberty if you're the, if you're the listening type and if you have a oh, I don't know how many hours it would take to get through that thing it's a massive massive uh, four volume set but it's, it's so it's so rich in good information you just have to get it and just put it on as you're doing your daily stuff, and just listen. Just let it go in the background, and you'll just glean so much from it you won't believe it. Again, conceived in liberty, four volume set by Murray Rothbard. It's available at nisus.org, and maybe I can even put links to the to the uh, PDF and to the to the you know, like I said, the audio files. There's I don't know, probably hundreds of them uh, that that take that in order. You know. Now that I think about it, I don't think uh, I don't think Jeff Riggenbach did the recording of that. I think that was Floyd Lilly. I believe it was. I believe that was all. Real. All those MP3 f- files were by Floyd Lilly, unless I'm mistaken. Here's how you can tell. Here's how you can tell if it was Floyd Lilly or if it was Jeff Riggenbach. Follow the link I'm going to put on on BadQuaker.com. Go over to Mises.org download some of the mp3s and listen to them and that way you'll know if it's floy Lilly, floy Lilly, or if it's jeff riggenbach and i'm ben stone thank you very much for listening i do wish you a good weekend uh, and uh, i'm not sure if i'll put up a podcast for friday i'll probably try i didn't mention it i'm still on the road i'm recording this from the motorhome if you heard some of the background noise that's why um this time hey we got by without a train so uh, so we were lucky that time. but uh, either way, um, check out badquaker.com for more, like I always say, for more on uh, liberty, property rights, and the zero aggression pol- and, <laughs> and the zero aggression principle. Go to badquaker.com. and thanks folks for listening. Have a good. Week. Did you know author Taryn P. Lupo has a new novel out called One Nation Under Blood? When a rejuvenative blood technology is developed that pits the young against the old, the government must take firm steps to address the war of supply and demand brewing across generational lines. Blood is not the only thing bought and sold in this dystopian tale of technology, economics, and independence. Vampires are now very real, but we never expected them to wear our grandmother's best Sunday dress. badquaker.com audio article for Friday, July 8th, 2011 by Ben Stone Am I my brother's keeper? Caution! Bad Quaker theology class is now in session. Please note atheists, pagans, non-Christian theists and agnostics are welcome to sit in and ring in with your opinion and your observations. Genesis chapter 4 And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock, and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Cain, unto Abel, and to his offering, but unto Cain, and to his offering he had no respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee it shall be his desire, and unto and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? According to Christian tradition, these are the words that Cain threw in the face of God when God asked Cain what happened to his brother. Of course, in the context of the story, God knew what happened to Cain's brother, but Cain's defense was a legitimate one nonetheless. Let's stop before we go too far. What I'm asking the reader to do is consider the Cain-Abel case... As a lesson in morality, to look at the facts provided in the story and draw a conclusion, not a conclusion of guilt or innocence, but a conclusion as to one possible moral of the story. The Undisputed Facts Two brothers, Cain the Elder, Abel the Younger. Cain is a farmer, Abel is a shepherd. Cain is jealous of Abel and kills him. God knows of the deed and confronts Cain by asking a leading question. Cain does not bite the bait, utilizes a legitimate defense, and demands God show his hand. God concedes to Cain's valid point and presents his case directly. Cain admits guilt, asks for mercy, and is punished for murder by banishment and shunning. Like any good investigator, God confronted Cain by asking a question he already knew the answer to. Quote, Where is Abel thy brother? Cain wisely responded, quote, am I my brother's keeper? And God is forced to present his whole case to Cain. God shows that he knows where the body is and the method and the motive for the crime. Cain confesses, God pronounces punishment. So now that the facts are out of the way, let's consider one moral of the story. As a child, Sunday school teachers and pulpit preachers told me that the moral of the story was that we are our brother's keeper. We are responsible for our brother's actions. It's up to us to protect, convert, and redeem our brothers. It's up to us to see to it that our brother is not ensnared by sin. The inference was that Our own salvation was in part dependent on how hard we worked to see to it that our brother was kept from sinning. Yet this twisted Puritan distortion of the story could not be more wrong. We are not our brother's keeper. Our brother is not our keeper. We do not own our brother, and neither does he own us. Therefore, he is responsible for his actions, and we are responsible for our actions. If it were otherwise, God would have countered Cain's rebuke by saying that he was indeed his brother's keeper. But he made no such remark. Cain's point was valid, and God moved on to other evidence. If Cain were Abel's keeper, and therefore responsible for him, It would follow that Abel was responsible for Cain, and therefore Abel would be at least in part responsible for his own murder. That sounds just like Puritan thinking. Blame the victim of the crime for the crime. Shift the blame anywhere except to the guilty party. What next? Blame an inanimate object like the murder weapon? There's a theology the Puritans and the progressives would love. Blame the assault rock that Cain used to crush Abel's head. So all we have to do is to assure no assault rocks are available to commit crimes and no one will sin and we can all go to heaven. So the moral, as I see it, is that each and every one of us is responsible for ourselves and our own actions and no one is responsible for anyone but himself or herself. To take this one step further, let's think about the murder. Cain killed out of envy. Cain envied what Abel had, to the point he would rather kill Abel than to allow him to live with something that Cain could not have. Clearly, envy, taken to its logical end, is about more than just possessing something that someone else has, it also has to do with denying to someone what we can't possess. So an example of this would be the evil school teacher who sees that one child in the class has gum so he singles out the child and demands to know if she has enough gum for the whole class when she admits that she does not he demands she spit out her gum he is teaching envy to the other children in the class better to punish the one little girl than allow her to enjoy her property in the presence of those who lack the item the logical conclusion I draw from this is that the desire to control, manipulate, dominate, prohibit, regulate, and manage the affairs of others is in its essence an aspect of envy. Envy, along with greed, is the driving force of the state. Bertrand Russell made a similar case in defining envy in his book The Conquest of Happiness. But he saw this aspect of envy as a positive trait and said that democracy itself cannot function without it. He went so far as to say that this aspect of envy is the driving force of democracy. I would agree with his conclusion, except I see absolutely nothing but evil in the existence of democracy. Democracy is an aspect of socialism, and socialism is the economic system that all states exist by. So, am I my brother's keeper? The moment I become my brother's keeper, my brother becomes my slave. I am morally against slavery. Therefore, I am an enemy of the state. For more articles and podcasts on liberty, the zero aggression principle, and property rights, go to badquaker.com. And thank you for listening.